Hey, Sarasota, it's Bob. So it's been a wonderful grind over the past 18 months. We've had some fabulous guests. We've produced over 150 episodes. and We've had over 10,000 listens from you wonderful folks in the greater Sarasota area. It's been a lot of fun, but also it's been a lot of work. And so we've decided to take a little bit of a break until this fall. When you check out other podcasts, you're going to see that most put out a new episode only once a week. We put out two, so of course that means there's twice the work. A lot of show notes, scheduling, guests, editing, etc., etc., etc. So we've decided to take a little break for the rest of the summer and we will resume this fall. And we'll let you know. But before I sign off, can you do me a little favor? Reach out to us via Facebook, Instagram, or LinkedIn. Drop us a little note. I'd like to know more about what you want to hear when we resume in the next couple of weeks. That'd be a big help because without you, dear listener, we would not exist. As always, thank you for tuning in. Have a wonderful summer, and we'll be back soon where you can listen, learn, and connect. Good morning, Sarasota. This is episode 33. Every once in a while, you run into a person whose record and reputation is so amazing, you're a bit skeptical until you meet them face to face. You think to yourself, is this person really as advertised? In today's episode, I interview one such individual, and as you'll hear, indeed, they are as advertised. Hi, I'm Bob Williams. I believe to better understand the town you live in, it is a must to listen to our neighbors, to, in fact, hear their stories. That's why I created the Sarasota Stories podcast. I started it so you, dear listener, could get connected just a little deeper in this wonderful community we call home. In each episode, I interview individuals that are doing great work and impacting our town in positive ways. So you'll hear from authors, artists, entrepreneurs, civic leaders, and others share how they chose their profession, what they're working on now that they're excited about, and what their plans are for the future. Today, my guest is Philip Tavel president and CEO of Children First. Philip will share with us how his physician father made an incredible impact on his career choice, why he continues to lead Children's First even after 26 years at the helm, a story of redemption and success from a tragic and hopeless situation, why it's critical for infants and toddlers to have a nurturing environment during their developmental years, how fathers of all ages are being trained to better father and to be better husbands, how you can connect with children first to help carry on their legacy, and much, much more. Thank you for stopping by, and please remember to listen, to learn, and most importantly, to connect. Philip Tavel, President and CEO of Children's First, welcome to the Sarasota Stories Podcast. Well, thank you, Bob, very much. It is a pleasure to have you here. And just so our listeners know, uh, Philip is uh, dealing with a little bit of allergies. So if you hear a couple of sniffles in there or whatnot, it is that uh, time of the year. I have them too, but fortunately I took my, uh, took my medication earlier. So as long as I don't fall asleep, everything should be good. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, Philip, you have had an incredible run here in the Sarasota area. You've had an incredible run with Children's First. You've been with them for 25 years. And I just wanted to give our listeners a little bit of a background of some of the things that you've accomplished. And then we're going to get into kind of the network, kind of the the inner workings of Children's First and some of the other things that you've done. But I want them to understand really kind of the impact that your organization has had. 
And here it is. Uh, you've led the expansion of the Early Head Start program, serving babies as young as six weeks old. The growth from five locations to 15 sites across Sarasota County and the formation of the award-winning new, uh, Nurturing Dads Initiative and Families First Institute. You've led Head Start and Early Head Start services for Sarasota County, which has been named a program of excellence four consecutive times, ranking in the top 1% of more than 1,800 programs nationwide. And in 2021, Philip was honored with the prestigious President's Award for this, by the Sarasota's NAACP, as well as the Best Nonprofit Leader in 2021 Best of SRQ, local competition by the SRQ Magazine and our community. You've also served, uh, let's see, you've also received the 2021 Unity Award from Sarasota Magazine for your commitment to bridging divide across racial, ethnic, religious, sexual orientation, socioeconomic, and physical and mental ability groups. And I'm not done yet, folks. In 2020, he received the Impact and Action Award from the Sarasota Chamber of Commerce. Heather Caston's group there is just fantastic. I know them well. And also the Nonprofit Times in 2021, Best Nonprofit to Work For, being named a top place of employment for Sarasota Manatee for three consecutive years. And I could go on. Uh, WEDU in 2019, Nonprofit of the Year and the Sarasota NAACP's Education Award. So I just think we should just end the interview right now because I think the record speaks for itself. I uh, uh, I, I want to leave on a high note. I'm not sure I can follow all of that, Bob. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. We're, we're going to give you some real zingers along here, you know, really, really dig the dirt out there. But it's an extraordinary record. And I was really gratified in doing the research to find out the impact that you and Children First have had on Sarasota community. You just... Let's say you've, you're 25 or 26 years now with Children's First. Uh, February was my 26th anniversary. Oh, wow. That's incredible. And, and it's, I guess what, it, in most professions today, that's a very long run. And so I guess my question is, is why would you stick around for 25 years? Well, the, the, um, I'll give you two, two answers. One is mission. Uh, yeah. I'm I'm absolutely in love, enthralled with the mission of Children First. Um, uh, it continues to resonate with me. And the second is, um, it's it's never been that we repeat the prior year again. It's mm. been 26 years of uh, continued growth, continued improvement, uh, expansion of our services, uh, deepening of our services. So the opportunity to remain really engaged, really interested, really challenged um, is such that um, uh, we've we've had a great run and continue to be on it. Talk a little bit. I, I do want to get into your background and kind of because I read some interesting thing of the impact that your father has had on you. But but give our listeners some insight. What exactly does uh, Children's First do and how do they do it? What is your mission? Yeah. So, uh, you know, I'll give you the mission statement, which is strengthening children and families by improving the quality of their lives through a comprehensive approach to development, education, health, and well-being. Hmm. And I'll translate by telling you that our, our focus population are families with very young children, meaning really pregnant moms through five-year-olds. Who, wow. are, who are living in difficult economic circumstances. And in two broad categories, here's what we do. We work with those children 
beginning at six weeks, but again, with pregnant moms, but for the children from six weeks to five years of age to really make sure that they're ready for kindergarten. Yes. Cognitively, physically, socially, emotionally. Uh, Our job is to make sure that children from these adverse circumstances have every opportunity to be successful in life. That's an incredible that's an incredible developmental period for children. It really to a great degree would define their ability to be successful in life. 90% of brain development. There's oh, there's, wow. there's no sort of do over. You you get one wow. shot. And what you've said is precisely right. It is that stretch of time that really determines what opportunity what kind of dream or what dreams can this child realize in life with the right beginning? The thing is, is that doing that work in the absence of families um, just doesn't make a lot of sense. So for us, part two in terms of the two broad areas that we uh, work in is working with the families. Um, Every child and family coming to Children First has a family advocate, a professional, a social worker, Um, who works with the families to, in essence, meet them where they are. So if it's a a teen parent, teen single parent, or it's grandparents raising grandparents, or somewhere in between, that family advocate's going to work with the family to do goal setting, uh, to deal with crisis management, uh, to be their cheerleader, their supporter, uh, to help them be the best first teacher of their child that they can be because parents are really their children's first teacher, their primary teacher. And when we have those opportunities in those, again, two broad areas with the kids and with the families, we see tons of success. That's incredible. That's great. You know, I, early in your introduction, I read about the nurturing dads initiative and I do want to talk about that in a couple of minutes here, but I would like to talk about your dad first, sure. because I read it. I read in another article that he was very influential on you in your career choice, and he had an extraordinary life. So, give our listeners, if you will, your background. Where were you in your formative years, and then how did your father impact that? So, uh, my father, who is a physician, uh, recently turned ninety-seven, oh, wow. uh, was involved in good for you. And yeah, yeah, I hope. Uh, was involved in um, really what's now called uh, global health uh, from the perspective of uh, of public health. So he worked in a, a number of countries. Uh, he and my mom uh, happened to be living in Casablanca, Morocco, uh, where uh, I was born. Um, uh, you were in Casablanca before Casablanca was cool. Then, it huh? was exactly not <laughs> not a drop of Moroccan blood, but it sure sounds exotic. And um, um, and not a, not a, not not Morocco at Disney. No, no, it's not Epcot. Um, and you know what I grew up seeing was my father. Um, after moving to this country, I was five or six, um, working with populations that really were without. Now, it was certainly a focus on health, but in his career beyond health, he was also involved in nutrition programs. He was also involved in public sanitation, all of those things that are oftentimes lacking in the countries that he worked in. Here, his work was focused to a great extent 
in making sure that healthcare was accessible to those who didn't have means, uh, didn't have transportation, really in helping remove all those barriers. So from a young age, um, it was a model for me. And it was something that I found um, uh, not only interesting, but also motivating. And um, uh, while I've taken a different direction, uh, there are many similarities in terms of the intent of the work. So he, in essence, was a servant all of his life, and that's really the career path that you're on. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I, um, uh, I see the work that I do. I see the work that he did really as a privilege um, to be able to, to serve others. Um, it's, a, it's a privilege to uh, be able to help provide the resources so that um, people have opportunities. Because right. we all know that when people feel that they don't have opportunities, you know, one word you could use is despondent. Sure. Um, you know, a lack of hope. But when you provide people with opportunities, it's remarkable what can be accomplished. And to how they blossom and how they bloom. And absolutely, if you think you have a future, that changes everything. It's tremendously rewarding to be able to be a small part of that. Well, give us a couple of cases, I guess, at Children's First that you would like to share that are your favorite. Uh, a couple of favorites, because there's been many, obviously, over 25 years. But uh, certainly, you've been around long enough. You've seen these kids grow up. You've seen the mothers uh, go through different stages of life, but, but share a couple of cases with us that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, thank you for the opportunity. You know, what comes to mind is, um, uh, is a story and, um, I, I'll let you know there's a good outcome because it starts as many of these situations do with very difficult circumstances. Um, uh, a little boy in, uh, our infant, one of our infant and toddler rooms, um, uh, he uh, was uh, born to a mom who had had some very significant substance abuse issues. Yeah. Uh, fortunately, during her pregnancy, uh, she was able to um, uh, stop using and get clean. Um, however, there was some impact uh, on the baby. And um, one of the issues was that when, uh, the little, the baby started with us, the little boy started with us, um, he had terrible separation anxiety and we worked with mom over a period of time, um, to help him overcome that. Uh, mom went back to work, was really on a great track. The little boy was doing beautiful and a, and a really beautiful little boy, um, uh, inside and out, because once he started to blossom, I think you used that word before, uh, he was just a, a wonderful little boy, warm and loving and engaging and, um, you know, had that sort of infectious laugh that uh, uh, some people do, some children do. Uh, and unfortunately, uh, through a terrible circumstance, um, his mom's substance abuse issues um, began again. You know, and it's not the better ever. It's a terrible disease. You know, it's a terrible mm. that disease of of addiction. And um, she came to us to tell us 
the oh my. the bond that she had developed with her family advocate and her teachers was such that she came to us and said, I've made a terrible decision. And I know that they're going to take my boy away, but I need your help. Oh, my. We were able to step into action to find her, you know, an inpatient uh, uh, bed, basically, uh, in an inpatient rehabilitation program. We're able to move very quickly and, you know, begin providing her the support that she was going to need. In a situation like that, you know, we're mandated to call the Department of Children and Families. And then right. what's going to happen is <clears throat> um, that baby is going to be put into, you know, a foster care situation, uh, pending the outcome of how the mom progresses. And <clears throat> as we were waiting for that caseworker to come from the Department of Children and Families or DCF, the infant and toddler specialist in that classroom asked me if she, if I thought it would be okay for her to offer to the DCF caseworker that she would take the little boy into her home for the duration of the inpatient stay. Oh, wow. And I said, absolutely. Now, the woman who worked in that infant room came to us as a parent with daughters in the program. Mm. And her three daughters came through the program. And she, beginning as a substitute with us, continued her education and continues to work for us and has become an excellent long-term employee, moving from that parent receiving services status to employee of children first delivering services. And DCF came and I, as the CEO, said to the caseworker, look, I'd like to propose something. And the caseworker said, well, that's unusual. (laughs) And we said, we don't want to have disruption in this little boy's life any more than is necessary. Mm. Mm. And Bob, they visited her home. We had her criminal background check on hand and they approved it that afternoon. Mm. And... Uh, for the next 28 days, that little boy was with his teacher, her three daughters coming to school each day. Uh, you know, we provided financial support to the teacher for her undertaking. Um, um, and, I, you know, I'd like to tell you the whole fairy tale is that mom got her act together, but she did not. Yeah. However, we knew well, the individual who adopted that boy. That's, oh, wow. It is an amazing story that his continuity, so to speak, of care and love and nurturing was such that in spite of this incredibly dire and tragic circumstance, he was able to continue with us and he was able to and some people would call it in end up in his forever home. Yes. With a really loving family. And, you know, things like that in the in the in the in the face of terrible tragedy and adversity. Yes. Yes. Really give you hope. 
Yes. Well, I, you know, coming from the business world, you know, you, you, you start your career and of course you, you want to make money. You want to start your, your household. You want to, you know, educate your kids, raise your children and so on and so forth. And I was never in a profession where I was dealing with these terrible issues. Okay. I was an HR manager. <laughs> that's, that's about as close as I ever got. But I guess my question is, is how do you, you deal with this on a daily basis or you hear the stories on a daily basis? How do you offload that? Um, how do how do you, how do you, how do you recharge your own batteries? Yeah. Um, so one of the things that I can tell you that can be very difficult about this job is, um, understanding how to, and then having the discipline to compartmentalize, hmm. um, you know, the many aspects of, of this work. Mm. And um, um, compartmentalization is very different from um, saying, well, I don't care about this enough to, to worry about it. It's right. being able to do your best to put the things that are happening in essence in their right place so as to continue moving forward with what needs yes. to be done. That's one thing. Yes. Another thing that I would tell you is that when you are in this kind of work, um, you know, one can say, well, here's my measuring stick for success and say it's standardized. And, you know, if you're manufacturing something, uh, uh, if you're serving meals, how, right? how many widgets right? did we make today? Right? And they have to be standardized. <laughs> you have to have one measure of success yeah. for that widget Great to meet point. quality. Great point. In this work, if you don't have a measure or a yardstick for success that is literally individualized for every person that we deal with, mm. it'll put you over the edge. Mm. And the reason is, <clears throat> what you or I might take for granted in terms of something as simple as structuring our day, need to stop, get some gas the night before, uh, I've got this appointment at this time, for a single parent, and that's about 70% of our families living in poverty, right. let's say a family of three making under 23000 plus a year. Something that simple can be so difficult, so overwhelming. And so for us, by having that, that yardstick to measure success that's so individualized, it gives us the opportunity to celebrate an awful lot of successes. Oh, my. And the difficulties that we face and the tragedies that we've faced over the year, over the years, excuse me, um, are certainly offset to a great extent by the celebration of those successes. You're, 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 you're fueling the tank with those successes. Yes. Yes. Um, uh, the one other thing that I would add is, um, it's not unusual in human services or social services for folks to sometimes adopt a very cynical attitude because of all the difficult things that they see. 
And oftentimes I've observed that that happens when they allow a very small minority of cases to color their view of a whole population that you're serving. Mm. And I don't know if, you know, I was sort of born optimistic or if it's something that, you know, has developed over the years, but I carry, you know, an optimism about our situation, Mm. a realistic optimism that allows me to, you know, to, 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 to keep it moving forward in a way that, um, and I'll tell you honestly, Children First is a great place to work. We celebrate a lot of successes. There's a lot of laughter in our halls. Right. Uh, we call ourselves the Children First family, and that's very much the case. Oh, that's cool. That's very neat. Well, I appreciate that. And I, I would imagine you got a lot of that from your father as well, being an optimist. I mean, he I'm sure he saw some pretty, pretty sad situations that he had to uh, treat as a medical doctor. And you mentioned, we mentioned in the introduction about uh, Nurturing Dads Initiative. That caught my eye because I had a fantastic dad. I mean, he was, he was fractured like every other human being is. He had his, his, his weaknesses and all that sort of jazz, but I miss him every day. So that's why I'm saying I'm glad I'm a little bit older than you, but I'm glad you, you have a 97 year old dad because I sure wish mine was around, but let's tell uh, our listeners a little bit about what nurturing dads is, what the initiative's about and what you accomplish. Yeah. So um, here's a a quick history in um, 1999. I'd been here about three years um, it was clear that there were a lot of really terrific parenting programs in town. Right. Um, you know, we we use the phrase family strengthening programs. Um, and, you know, our anecdotal observation is that um, at most of them, it was almost always moms. And so we had an opportunity um, through a gentleman uh, from Sarasota by the name of Mark Perlman who authored the Nurturing Dads class curriculum to give it a trial run. Let's see how it goes. And what was really fantastic was the way a class designed specifically for men really resonated with the men who were taking it, the dads who were taking it. Wow, because typically that's a tough group to get them to... You know, stuff that doesn't have with, you know, making money or playing sports or, you know, being a little bit vulnerable or learning soft skills. Uh, yeah, I remember something that happened because um, I I took the class and I was also trained as a facilitator for the class in the early days. Right. You know, and I remember, I think it was when I was a participant, you know, at the end of the first class, the facilitator said, all right, guys, huddle up. You know, we got in that huddle, kind of arms around <laughs> each shoulder, you know, and, and, you know, it's very huddle football, right? <laughs> and then the guy says, well, let's just consider this a group hug, but don't freak out about it. <laughs> right? And right. Um, it creates an environment where men can be vulnerable about their own experiences as sons being fathered or not fathered. It creates an environment where men can be vulnerable about how they relate to the mother of their children, um, um, how they relate with their children. And, you know, that's a very special thing. It's all done within a context of a really fantastic curriculum 
that touches on a period between eight and 10 weeks on topics like, you know, positive discipline, how to interact with the mother of your children, uh, play, how to play with your kids. I mean, there's some dads that's kind of a foreign. um, And what we are doing is creating a toolkit for dads. Um, It's pretty phenomenal. And we're well over 2000 graduates. From That's that so cool because, because particularly if you come from an economically disadvantaged background, your focus is you're under so much stress anyways. Yeah. And you know this more well, better than I do. And so how do you as a father, and particularly if you came, if you're second, third, fourth generation in that environment, yeah. your father was stressed and, or maybe wasn't even around. And then how do you, how do you see a, you know, the model that you're supposed to follow that's going to get you where you want to go. Well, it's, it's such a great point. And so one of the things that we did at the very beginning, it was a conscious decision, is we said this is a class that's going to be open to the broad, the, the community at large. And what we wanted was to have that socioeconomic mix in this environment uh, um, because – Fathering cuts across, you know, all strata, um, socioeconomically. And what we also wanted was to have what we hoped would be some, you know, development of support group or network in this kind of environment. So I'll give you the example from a class that I facilitated um, where we had a gentleman who is, I would say, in his mid-50s, had gotten remarried, uh, had a 14-year-old stepdaughter. Oh, man. And, you know, his stated goal was, I'm not going to screw up the way I did with my own kids. Oh, man. Now, in that same class, there was a 16-year-old boy, young man, that when we looked on the paperwork for referral source, it said, my mom. (laughs) (laughs) God bless moms. Right. And then what he (laughs) said in the class was, you know, my girlfriend's pregnant. Yeah, I'm going to be involved in this baby's life. I'm going to be the dad. And this was the coolest thing. The gentleman who had the 14-year-old stepdaughter was a business owner. Yeah. And he became a mentor to the 16-year-old. Oh, man. That's the secret sauce right there. Unbelievable, man. Unbelievable. It, it, and we've just had hundreds of stories like that play out over time. It's, it's a phenomenal program. Oh, man, that's just, you know, what what I do find interesting in today's world, a lot, how how can I put this in the the right context? You do read a lot about women today, women's groups, she roars, uh, promoting women, which is, which is justified. But at some point along the way, I'm, I'm sometimes get concerned about our young men in this society. Where are the role models that they have? How are you supposed to be a man in today's world? How does that differ than, you know, being a woman or a female? And how do you interact so that it's constructive and, again, helps you get to where you want to go? Because often a lot of what you're doing just ain't working. Uh, uh, Agreed. I, I I would link my response back to early childhood education. Yep. And again, that 90% brain development in the first five years 
certainly we see it in a child's physical growth. So, you know, we see them going from being a six-week-old baby um, who, you know, is literally absolutely helpless yes. to that five-year-old child who's running full speed on the playground, takes a spill that would put you or me in traction, <laughs> pops back up, you know. So the physical is very easy to see the manifestation of, but that that social growth, that emotional growth, that cognitive growth, when it happens well at that young age, it makes such a difference, number mm. one, to have the family services wrapped around it like our model mm. does. And yes. then number two, how that young man, in the instance of what you're proposing, is going to do as he becomes a teenager. What yes. we know is that high-quality high early childhood education returns higher high school graduation rates, lower juvenile incarceration rates, um, higher career earnings. Yes, and yes. This is stuff I'll just A productive life. It's unbelievable. Essence. There's an economist. I just got to give you this guy a shout out. He doesn't need my shout out. He's at the University of Chicago, a guy named James Heckman, hmm. Nobel Prize winning economist who has done economic studies of the return on investment of high quality early childhood education development yeah as high as $13 return for $1 invested mm. man mm. i wish i could put my retirement funds in something like I, that indeed indeed but that's what we do that's what we wow. get to do and it makes such a difference when that child does hit 9 or 12 or 15 or 18 you know the 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 research shows it well, I'm definitely going to have to bring you back because I want to talk about some more of the initiatives. Uh, we haven't even gotten to the Family First Institution. Um, but I guess what I kind of want to close with, where are you going? Where are you taking Children's First? Um, well, thanks for the offer. Give us, give us, a, give yeah. us a view yeah. for the future. Yeah. So, um, uh, one, um, there's a group of us who've been here for a long time and – you know, we love being here. It's a it's a pretty darn great place. And uh, what I want to say is what we see, and this begins with our board of directors. Uh, uh, the governance here is like best practices governance, uh, and it's a, a, a it's a wonderful group of of individuals who volunteer to lead this organization. We see a number of things on the horizon. One of them is. Our biggest area of unmet need in this community is around infant and toddler care. Mm. So there are more agencies or home daycares that offer three, four, and five-year-old care than there are for those organizations six weeks to three years of age. And, and that's understandable, yeah. And so we are all about doing our best to make sure that there's no longer a waiting list for our infant and toddler services. So to a great extent, our future is around how do we serve babies, more of them, and continually do it better. What is also in our future but has started already 
is our continued efforts to address what are very significant needs in the area of behavioral and mental health for our children and our families. Yes. And, you know, we're, we're, we're very focused on that. Um, going back to the end of 2015, when we formalized, in essence, that department within Children First, um, we've been able to expand and grow. And like many things that we do in partnership with other very good agencies, you know, like small kids doing well, they play well with others. So does yes. Children First, right? Yes. So that focus on behavioral and mental health and continued elevation of our game and partnership with others is uh, another piece of, of the puzzle as we move forward. I would also tell you, Bob, that we are as successful as we are because of the partnerships that we have with many fine agencies and our continued exploration of opportunities to partner with folks to help our children and families and to help whichever populations they happen to serve is something that helps guide us forward. Right. The final piece that I would give you is a very practical one. Uh, like many nonprofits, the further that we can take our legacy society in terms of planned giving, and yes. the further we can take efforts towards an endowment, the better that we are to celebrate, as we did last year, our 60th anniversary, the better off we are to secure the next 60 years of children. Yes. yes. So those are yes. things that are on the radar for us. Well, that's neat. That's neat. Well, um, I feel like we've only scratched the surface here, but I do try and wrap these up after a half an hour to 40 minutes. Certainly you have volunteers or you have ways in which people can get involved with Children First. We do. Can you share yep. that as a kind of closing comment? Uh, we have volunteers ranging from folks who serve on special events committees to people uh, who volunteer in the classroom. You know, we've got people who love to rock babies. We've got others who like to be in preschool classrooms and we welcome them. Um uh, you know, uh, very rigorous screening process with fingerprints and FBI sure. background check and sure. that sort of thing. Um, but once you're over that threshold, great training, um, wonderful placement into where you as an individual have interest. And, you know, one of the sayings that we use around here is many hands make light work of heavy lifting. Yes. Yep. And when we've got volunteers, I think we're around 400 plus. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, it's wow. significant. Yeah. Um, you never can show too much love to children. And so when we got folks coming in who love on our kids, who are helping our teachers, who want to help with special events, we are thrilled. Well, Philip, this has just been a time well spent on my end. I hope it is for you, but Absolutely. I already, I know for sure that we're going to do part two and part three down the road because again, like I said, I feel like we just scratched the surface here. I really was uh, pretty ignorant of Children's First and so I started doing the research for you, but I'm just very, it's very gratifying to see what you guys do and particularly such that young age, which I could see where a lot of institutions would shy away from that uh, because, you know, 
because of the age. Yeah. And so it's, it's really neat. It's really neat to hear what you guys were doing. Well, listen, I appreciate you uh, being on the show. And uh, again, we look forward to having you back. Really appreciate the opportunity. Be well. All right. You too. Thank you. Thank you so much for stopping by. I sure hope you enjoy listening to our interviews as much as we do providing them. If so, would you do me a little favor? Go to sarasotastories.co and enter in your email. That way you'll get notifications of all upcoming episodes. Also, you can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn. And remember, no matter where you go, to listen, learn, and connect. <music>